Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. My guest today is Antti Vihavanen, co-founder and CEO of Puro.Earth. Founded in 2018, Puro.Earth is designed to enable carbon removal at industrial scale by aggregating companies that are net negative because of their use of CO2 in products, such as carpstone building materials or biochar production. Antti is a sought-after keynote speaker on carbon transformation and is very passionate about green business and sustainability. In fact, he built his own wooden house in the backwoods of Helsinki's metropolitan area and has converted two classic cars to run on biofuel. I'm very interested and excited to have this conversation with him today on such an important topic. So welcome, Antti. Thank you, Annie. Thanks for the introduction. It was well put together. I didn't know where you got it, but but well put together. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, honestly, my very first question is probably one on everyone's mind, which is, mm-hmm. why are you so passionate about green technologies? How did that happen? Yeah, it's, it's actually started uh, as a kid already, but the first time I was actually working on this topic was um, in university in 1995. I was uh, responsible for the <clears throat> environmental affairs of the student union, and, and we organized the first uh, green business seminar in Finland in the university, and, and we invited uh, Finnish companies to join and tell how could they uh, utilize green measures at uh, those times sustainability was not a word just uh, you know green business uh, practices to gain competitive advantage and uh, it was very good we we got the uh, discussion on uh, going but then i was actually i i i started working for technology companies and that sort of uh, took me for two decades I see. Interesting. Is this a hobby of yours to convert classic cars to run on biofuel? And I also know that you even have a podcast around electric cars. So tell me a little bit about these hobbies that you have, because they all seem to be connected to the same passion. Yeah, well, I think there are two separate passions. I've always been a car guy. And it's um, weird because um, you're not supposed to like cars if you're into environmental stuff. And uh, <laughs> However, you know, I, I wanted to con- continue with different kinds of cars. And really, I drive a electric car daily. So that's an easy way to get uh, across the transportation needs or commuting needs without any extra emissions. But what I'm really interested in uh, is are those classic cars. I tried not to sort of demonize things because uh, people then tend to start, you know, a counter reaction. They, they go into denial mode. Right. So instead, I wanted to, to try and find ways of, um, you know, continuing, but uh, doing it much better. One way of doing it uh, in um, old cars is to just uh, start uh, convert them to use uh, biofuel. Ethanol is is a very good fuel uh, for many purposes. While we are waiting for the even better synthetic fuels that could be made out of CO2 that is captured directly from the uh, atmosphere. Can you convert uh, any car into biofuel? Uh, it depends a little bit. It depends a little bit on the condition of the engine. I wouldn't recommend it to all cars I see. or all engines so that there is, you know, certain dependencies. Okay. Well, I'm going to make a mental note to, to send you an email about some car-related questions. Okay. So let's move on to what this podcast is actually about, which is carbon mm-hmm. emissions, carbon pollution. So my very first question, Antti, is... Carbon emissions, carbon pollutions have actually been around for decades. Mm -hmm. So why is now the right time to have a marketplace 
why are there no marketplaces? And before you start, maybe you can also quickly give a short overview on what Puro does and then tell Mm -hmm. me why now? Why was it not existing before? Mm -hmm. So what Puro does, it's like a service. It's carbon removal as a service. I think um, being a pioneer, it's all about the timing. So it's easy to be ahead of your time and, and, you know, waste a lot of time and money into, you know, something that will never materialize. And uh, the question, that's exactly the question that I have been thinking about. Is this the right time to do it now? But there are lots of signs that uh, show or indicate that it indeed is the right time now. We've uh, identified um, business and or industrial processes that you know use or store more CO2 than the emissions are from the production. So these companies run a carbon net negative footprint and, and that net negative part from their products can be decoupled and turned into a digital tradable asset. And that's something that we've done since there wasn't anything similar available when we started. So what we basically do is we, you know, have set a certain criteria. We call it the methodology for various processes that they need to comply with. And if everything is well and sorted, then uh, a verifier can grant an audit statement based on which we can issue certificates that can be bought by companies such as Swiss Re or Microsoft or Danone or some of the other ones that are sort of grouping and and, uh, announcing their net zero goals. Companies don't really need to buy into the technology itself, but they can just uh, purchase the the certificates that represent the climate service, represent the uh, removed carbon uh, from the atmosphere. Okay, so I have a lot of questions about the space itself, but before we go into that, one of the interesting things that I learned about how Mm. Puro did this is you went from zero, like a concept and an idea, to actually doing your first auction in 71 days. Mm. So could you tell me a little bit more about how you did that? Back in um, autumn of 2018, we had discussions with dozens of uh, companies, hundreds of people, and we iterated the concept quite a lot. Uh, We learned a a lot every day, and we fine-tuned it uh, to the extent that in the beginning of uh, 2019, we were confident enough to, to ask some of these companies to you know, contribute to the creation of this marketplace. And uh, we were supposed to get uh, two or three companies uh, to join. But at the end of the day, we got 22 different companies from six countries. Uh, So we invited them to a, let's say, a a meeting, a virtual meeting. We divided these people into three different groups and we just immediately started working. We just said that, okay, we are going to launch this marketplace in in two months and here are the deadlines and let's start working. So we asked from the participants who wanted to work on the marketplace rules, who wanted to work on the different methodologies and who wanted to work on, on publicity. And so within three weeks, we uh, created these methodologies and marketplace rules. It was a, a Google Drive, uh, which was open to everybody. Everybody could make you know, edits and suggestions to the documents. Uh, and then we had a document freeze every week together with my co-founder, Marianne was leading the other groups over there. And we just agreed, okay, let's take these into this documentation. Let's leave those out. We had the documentation ready in, in three weeks. 
And yeah, so, and then afterwards we heard that a process like this should take two years, but luckily we hadn't heard about that before. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so based on the documentation, instead of making this a sort of a technology rehearsal, which would have been interesting, of course, but we just realized that uh, there's plenty of software in the world and we were able to locate one um, software that was good enough for for our experiment. We had it modified uh, or customized for our purpose so that we could quickly uh, issue the certificate based on the uh, methodologies that were just created. And then uh, we ran an auction uh, on that same platform. It was rather manual process, I must admit, uh, but it was a minimum viable product and we had them, you know, everything done. It was not that sophisticated, the upper layer, the actual Mm -hmm. uh, auction part, but we had it um, uh, completed and, and then on the 71st day we sent the invoices to people who had uh, you know board certificates from the very first auction it was a very intensive period and i do need to admit that there's a there's a reason behind it we we our funding is uh, sort of in six months intervals and uh, this um, funding period started in march and in the middle of the funding period there was this uh, terrible beast called finnish summer holidays which closed down not only Finland, but also the whole of Scandinavia for July. So we had to have at least three auctions done before the summer holidays so that we could have the data, uh, so that we could determine whether the hypothesis that we had created would be true or not. Interesting. And what did you find out? Well, the first question that we asked ourselves was that, can we create a, a standard for, for carbon removal? And uh, yes, we did. We were able to do that. Then we asked if you know companies would be bil- willing to pay uh, for those certificates based on the standard. And uh, yes, they were willing to pay for that. Uh, typically in these voluntary carbon markets, the prices are quite low compared to the uh, regulatory markets. But uh, in our case, it was very close to the uh, EU um, emission trading system price, which was at the time 25 euros. Ours was actually close to 27 euros in the first auction. Hmm. And then the, uh, the third main hypothesis was that, w- are we able to create this dynamic effect that what we were looking for, that once this uh, climate service or positive sort of climate processes are, are identified and um, the companies can monetize them, will, will they grow? Because that's the whole point. If you identify something that is good, you need to make it bigger. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if you introduce a new revenue stream that can be used for increasing the competitiveness, then we should see that pretty quickly. And uh, indeed, we have been able to see that. So the largest uh, biochar producer in Europe has now been able to get rid of one of their bottlenecks, which was uh, drier uh, in their process. And then another uh, manufacturer has been able to go from a pilot uh, plant to a fully commercial-grade process. Wonderful. So, so it's been an iterative process, and, and obviously we've been uh, learning a lot along, along the way and, and adjusting the processes and creating new hypotheses along the mm. way as well. Mm. And yeah. that's a great learning lesson for all of us. Okay, so let me ask a little bit about this space. So if I'm a carbon emitter... Why can't I just go on buying carbon offsets? Why should I look at carbon removal? What incentive do companies like me have to turn to a marketplace like Puro? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a process. Uh, we've um, named it um, 
the characteristic that uh, drives companies towards this direction to be climate maturity. So it's a process that starts with the realization that, ooh, we have a carbon footprint. I wonder how big that is. And then you start, you know, calculating that. And uh, then possibly there are some measures to reduce that. And and, uh, then, you know, eventually there are these options of, you know, paying somebody else to reduce their emissions so that you can claim that you are sort of nearing uh, carbon neutrality. But now that there's already too much CO2 in the atmosphere, paying somebody else to reduce uh, their emissions but still keep on emitting doesn't really cut cut it, really. Mm. So that's why in their thinking, the right thing to do is to remove an equivalent amount of CO2 from the atmosphere that they are emitting, emitting. Unfortunately, this is a an area where there aren't any standards. And, and that's why we had to create CORC, which is the CO2 removal certificate. Hmm. I see. And, and what about regulations? What regulations have come into effect for industries to buy carbon removal certificates? Or are we a long way away from that? Because I feel like mm-hmm. this is one of those areas, unless you have regulation, you're not going to get that critical mass thinking about yeah. carbon removal. Yeah, I'm not sure about the critical mass. I think that can be achieved on the voluntary side as well, but uh, not not to the extent that would you know save the world, so to say. Uh, mm. So definitely, regulation is uh, needed. But instead of you know us uh, spending our time trying to convince the, the legislators um, in various parts of the world to start uh, working on on uh, stuff like this, we decided that we'll just show that it can be done. Hmm. And and now EU has uh, just issued a tender where uh, they are asking for help for creating a carbon removal mechanism that is probably going to be related to 2023. So it's a slow process anyway, but there are certain, you know, processes that, that make sense for us to be involved in, and this is definitely one of them. Interesting. So when you think about the carbon removal itself, how do I, as a carbon emitter that's looking to buy one of these certificates, verify the amount of carbon removal? How do you yeah. verify that the removal actually happens? Yeah, that is uh, the essential question, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the sales guy, so I need to um, have the best possible assurance behind me. So when I uh, go and, and talk with the major companies that are motivated to do this, I need to have a, a very solid process behind me. Mm-hmm. So it all starts with the claim that we get from a negative emission supplier, mm-hmm. say, for example, this uh, biochar producer. They say that based on our methodology, and um, requirements and their business um, processes, they are eligible for, let's say, 1,000 or 10,000 certificates. Mm-hmm. We, they provide the evidence to us. We look at the evidence, and if everything seems uh, to be accurate, we pass it over to a third party that we partner with. It's DNVGL, which is one of the largest uh, business assurance companies in the world. They ask a million questions from from the suppliers, they make a site visit, they ask another million questions on site and and make sure that everything that they claim holds true. They may even, yeah, so, so, and and those questions uh, trigger 
uh, new processes uh, within the suppliers. So they start looking at their own processes in a way that they, they feel that, okay, we could actually make it even more carbon net negative. Hmm. So after the site visit and everything, you know, looking at the production data, looking at the uh, sales data, everything, uh, they can then issue a audit statement that uh, says that uh, this um, um, supplier is eligible for a certain number of corks, which mm-hmm. we then uh, issue based on that uh, report. I see. And and how much would it cost to remove one ton of carbon from the atmosphere? Yeah, it depends a little bit on the process. And uh, we've established, you know, in the auctions that we ran, we had we had seven auctions. And in them, we've always uh, published the um, weighted average price of all the transactions that took place in the auction. And it's been between 17 and a half euros, which was the low point right before Christmas. It was mm-hmm. not the bright move to organize a auction right before Christmas. But and then the highest one was the, actually the last one, which was thirty-one euros sixty cents uh, per ton of CO two removed uh, from the atmosphere. I see. So if you compare that with the traditional offsets, which are typically from three to ten euros per ton, mm-hmm. um, it is indeed much more. Um, expensive but uh, then again we haven't dictated this price this is value-based pricing so the uh, buyers have made a purchase bid which is based on the value this carbon removal represents for their company Mm -hmm. i see okay and in terms of the buyers who are the the biggest buyers of these certificates is it energy companies, aviation, I would think would be two. Who else are the buyers and are they committed to doing this? Well, funny you should uh, mention these, the, the bad boys. Those are, it should be the obvious uh, things, but they are already within the regulated um, areas, regulated businesses. So they don't get any benefit uh, from purchasing these voluntary credits, be it a, a traditional offset or <clears throat> our carbon removal certificates. Mm-hmm. They are required to purchase EU ETS, which is the emission or uh, emission allowances from EU uh, or from their own uh, region, wherever they are. Mm. I would say is that um, at the moment, our biggest buyers are technology companies, financial organizations, sometimes some logistics organizations uh, and and so forth. So various uh, fields, but not from the areas where, where the pollution is at its worst. As of today. I see. And <clears throat> do you worry that some of these polluters can almost get a free pass to keep emitting? Because it's, now it's they're saying, in. oh, well, we're buying this and so we can keep doing what yeah. we're doing. It's built in. This free pass is built into these cap and trade systems. So it's a little weird, but these are the, say, political reality is that they have had to grant some free emission allowances to certain industries so that uh, they don't you know the prices for the consumers don't go too high too mm. soon and so forth but the good thing is that that amount of free allowances is is diminishing every year in the EU and to my understanding also in other regions so that they do need to either change their processes or pay more and thus become less competitive Mm, I see. And what about the suppliers? Who are the main suppliers? And are they located in any specific part of the world or any specific industries or... Yeah. yeah. 
That's a good good uh, point. I, again, at the moment, we have three different methodologies, which are basically processes, uh, business processes that are carbon net negative. We've picked the ones that are least disputable ones. There are many more out there. So, and, and we are now in the process of adding new methodologies to the um, marketplace. We are technology agnostic, just mm-hmm. as long as um, these uh, processes fulfill our criteria mm-hmm. of accurate quantification and certain permanence of sequestration and so forth. But so far we have uh, three processes. Uh, one of them is biochar which is basically a uh, material for improving uh, soil characteristics. It can be used for uh, water filtration and, and many other purposes as well, but uh, soil improvement is the main main category. Then there's a carbonated building element, which is basically looks like... Um, Uh, concrete, but it's made entirely without cement. Uh, Instead, it's made from steel slag in a way that um, it is dried or cured in a uh, chamber with high concentration of CO2. And that CO2 is then sucked into the uh, material and it's turned into, you know, it becomes part Hmm. of the stone Hmm. and it stays there forever. And the third one is wooden building elements where if you build a a house or some other construction that is um, going to stay there for decades, that equivalent amount of CO2 that is stored in the uh, biomass will stay away from circulation for at least 50 years because you're not allowed to build any houses for less than 50 years. Hmm. Okay. So now if you go back to the business, what is your go-to-market strategy in terms of getting more buyers and getting more suppliers to the marketplace? Well, we've started uh, with uh, the traditional corporate sales to get uh, relevant contacts within companies that are as we like to call them, climate mature. But it it doesn't really scale that well. So that's why we've uh, launched an awareness campaign lately and we've been getting some uh, very good contacts uh, through that uh, as well. But I need to say that it seems that the market is still in a phase where there is this uh, need for discussion and and confidence creation before we can jump into a sort of an e-commerce type of a uh, business. So once we get the attention of the decision makers, it's fairly uh, simple discussion typically. They say, oh, okay, you, you are already doing that. That's great. Let's, let's move on. Let's start working on how, how can we incorporate what we do to their portfolio of uh, offsets. So what is it that is... A challenge? Like, what is it that you're saying you still need to have conversation? Well, since there are no publicly accepted standards or widely accepted standards for carbon removal, they need to ask a lot of questions to understand whether the framework is solid or not. Mm. And that's, you know, obviously something that is a hindrance to our business. Uh, Luckily, Mm. there are companies that think with their own brains and realize that what we are doing has a solid background and they are brave enough to go ahead even without the, the standards or before the standards are established. However, we fully understand that it's um, easier to explain your stakeholders that, okay, we bought these uh, certificates because they comply with the certain standard. Mm. And that's why we are involved in some of the discussions around the world. The World Resource Organization and Carbon Disclosure Project, are, for example, are working on car- defining what qualifies as carbon removal. Mm. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about the the overall market. What are some of the trends you're seeing in terms of climate change and the space that you're 
Puro is in. It's it's massive. If you look at the trends, um, Stripe said in August last year, 2019, that they are going to put $1 million on the table to purchase negative emissions. Then Shopify said, oh, that sounds nice. We'll put $5 million uh, yearly on on the table. Then there was a silent uh, break. uh, And then in the uh, early part of 2020, uh, Microsoft said, okay, we'll put $100 million per year. So a billion uh, dollars for within uh, 10 years. Uh, then uh, we've got uh, a bunch of other companies, you know, announcing their commitments to net zero. Not all of them have said how much money they are committing to that. But Jeff Bezos was one of the, the later ones that said that, okay, he's going to put uh, 10 billion of his own wealth onto the um, table to uh, make not only carbon removal, but also other sort of environmental stuff. So it's it's a bit of a competition at the moment, it seems, uh, within mm. the uh, organizations. Apple was one of the uh, ones that recently announced their commitment. And it's a very comprehensive program that Apple is doing also. Also, it includes carbon removal. And, and just today, actually, I was reading that there's this new consortia or new initiative called Transformation to Net Zero, which includes companies such as Microsoft, Mercedes-Benz, Danone, and Maersk, and, and many others. Mm. So, so I think it's fair to say that this seems to be the right time, mm. you know, returning back to the, the timing question in the beginning. And so at least there's so much talk and there's so much people, you know, so many people patting on our backs saying that we are doing the right thing. Hmm. It's just, uh, you know, from the time that it takes from the talk uh, to the moment when the money starts actually moving is quite long from the perspective of a startup. Right, right. I can imagine. Why are technology companies committing in this space? Is it just overall just, you know, climate issue is a big priority and we need to do something? I think it's an industry that is uh, ran by people who are very conscious about many things. They are clever people and they want to do the good thing and they can afford it. Hmm. I think uh, it's actually something that some of the bankers and the, let's say, the insurance industry, people that I've talked with, have actually said it out loud. We Hmm. can afford it. So let's do it. I see. And so if you look at just your exchange, I mean, you got off the shelf technology to build the marketplace. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there are others, the marketplaces like yours. What differentiates one with another? Or are you saying the space is so big, the opportunity is so big, it doesn't matter if there are multiple marketplaces. What's your barrier to entry or differentiator? So at the moment, there aren't any multi-methodology marketplaces for, you know, that are dedicated for carbon removal. Mm. So we are still the only one. There are a couple of other schemes that are either national uh, or then, you know, they just um, stick to this one, one process. They are either soil carbon or they are, you know, some other, for example, biochar has, its, has a marketplace of its own. But we wanted um, uh, to make these uh, different carbon removal technologies to compete with each other mm. so for efficiency so that the buyer would get the best bang for the buck. Interesting. Um, so that, that is a good differentiator for us. But in the long run, we like to think that since we have been the first ones and we've made quite a few iterations already, we've, we are now on our third sales more you know, transaction model. Mm-hmm. We have learned more than than others. Uh, mm-hmm. We hopefully get uh, the right, the best sort of uh, buyer 
pioneers and we secure the best suppliers to us. It's a benevolent circle that reinforces itself. Interesting. It's a really important initiative that has true benefit for both the suppliers and the buyers. So I, I wish you all success, Auntie. Yeah, thank you. And so we're almost at the end of uh, the show. I wanted to ask you, do you have a vision for how you see Puro evolving and what are some of your future plans? It depends a little bit on the regulation, how regulation moves on. Our plans are all made without the assumption that uh, regulation is going to include in wide scale carbon removals. But if it does indeed, then it's going to be huge, even bigger. So our sort of first aim is to make it the size of uh, EU ETS um, or EU emission trading system without the the help of the regulation within the next uh, five to six years. So it is a massive undertaking to do that. But now if we look at the announcements uh, made by these large corporations and their commitments, and if we count how much their emissions are and will be uh, in 2025, for example, it is certainly reachable. Hmm. Well, that's fantastic. We're almost at the tail end of the show, and I wanted to switch over to just asking you a few questions that are not as mm-hmm. much about your business, but as much yeah. as, or more about you. So mm-hmm. I've actually never been to Finland, although it's on my list of places to go because I have some mm-hmm. friends who live there. But mm-hmm. if I come to Finland or if anyone visits Finland, what is it that they absolutely have to do? It depends a lot uh, on the the time of the year. In the winter time, of course, it's good to go to Lapland and see the... The Northern the, Lights. Yeah, the Northern Lights and the fact that, you know, it's actually quite um, amazing when, when the sun does not rise at all. Yeah. It, it stays below the horizon the whole time. It's, it's, it's weird. The whole, you know, scenery, the, the lights, everything is just you know, very different from anywhere else because you have the snow everywhere, but still you don't have any sun. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's really um, magnificent. So what do people in Finland do at that time? How many months is that? And what do you guys do? Do you like escape and go off to somewhere warm? Well, we work quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so um, it's it's okay. So in the southern part of Finland, it's not that bad. But then again, we don't necessarily have that much snow. So it's it's just different. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would recommend going to Lapland and, and you know, seeing the, the northern lights and everything. It's, it's, it's really wonderful. In the summertime, I personally would recommend, you know, figuring out the way to go to the archipelago. Finland has um, um, the largest uh, archipelago in the world between Finland and Sweden. It's, uh, there are ferries that um, uh, travel from one island to another. It is beautiful. Nice. Okay. Well, on my list for sure. And what about uh, your personal project? So you've built this cabin, you've turned these cars into with biofuels. What project are you working on now, personally or as a hobby? Oh, actually, if I look outside of the window uh, right now, there's a, it's like a pier, I guess. Um, it's a floating device where my daughters are, are building a cabin of their own. Uh, um, we live beside the lake and, and yeah. uh, there's a, they wanted to, to build a, a cabin to the, the trees, uh, but uh, yeah. that turned out to be too challenging. To, so they said, why don't we make a floating cabin? And, and uh, now they are building that and I'm, I'm helping them as well. 
Wow, fantastic. My son would love to to have you as someone in, that he could look at because he loves to mm-hmm. build things. So, mm-hmm. okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Auntie, for being on the show. I, I really found this chat so interesting and I hope that uh, more and more people look at carbon removal and mm-hmm. come to marketplaces like Puro and make a real difference um, to the planet. So thank you very much. Thank you, Anita. It was a pleasure. <laughs>